It has two wheels, two sources of power, and can go from 0 to 192 in just one shift. But instead of riding it, you strap it over your shoulder. Because this machine is so powerful, it can take you places just standing still. The DX100 Synthesizer. Anything's possible. Yamaha. Yamaha International Corporation Professional Products Division, P.O. Box 66000, Quinto Park, California, 90622. In Canada, Yamaha Canada Music Limited, 135 Milner Avenue, Scarsboro, Ontario, MIS-3RI. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And I'm Kwanzaa. By the power of random, I have the banter! (laughs) Random banter time, buddies. Tell me what's going on. Tell me a tale of your lives. Well, I'm going to tell you a tale about our special guest, because we are very excited to have Kwanzaa Osajofo. Yep. Welcome, Kwanzaa. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for joining us. I want you to just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of explain how I found you and why I asked you to come on. But can you tell us just a little bit about your background in comic books, because that's where you do work, right? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a bit of a tale, but, you know, I've been a comic book fan since, like, I was very small. And, you know, Power Pack was one of the first comic books that I ever collected, like, at a ripe age of eight years old. Um, and that's what kind of like introduced me to like the new mutants and then X-Men. It was like my gateway drug in the comic books, essentially. And um, it wasn't until, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with milestone uh, comics that, you know, I kind of had this flash bulb in my mind where it's just kind of like, Oh, I've been reading all these comics for years, but there was something missing from it. And it was like, Oh, characters of color. <laughs> and so milestone, <laughs> Like launched all of these characters with like Static Shock, which I think a lot of people knew from the TV show, Icon, Hardware. Yeah, that's right. how I know. And so it was just really inspiring me as, as a teenager. I was just like, holy crap, I didn't even know that I wasn't like really representing these comic books and these characters are cool. And I was so uh, impressed by Milestone that I actually called up their offices and asked them to do a portfolio review of mine. <laughs> and they said yes. So at 16 years old, I walk into your office with like my little, you know, portfolio and somehow end up having an interview with Dwayne McDuffie, who was their editor in chief. Oh, and that's nice. cool. So here I am, like with my voice probably still cracking more from nervousness than puberty. <laughs> and, and he looks through my entire portfolio and very nicely, you know, lets me down easy. He's like, you're not ready, kid. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but what was really cool is like he took the rest of like you know our time sitting there to kind of ask me like why did I want to be in comics what did I want to do and essentially kind of gave me the cheat sheet for how to break in and so you know with with all that information I actually ended up doing an internship uh, at Marvel and got hired right out of college and that was kind of how my career started so I worked there I came back into comics after leaving for a while and worked at DC and launched their first digital imprint and when I left DC, you know, I decided to finally make comics myself. And I created this comic book called Black, the premise of it being what if only black people had superpowers. And uh, we did a Kickstarter for it that kind of blew up. We asked for 30000 It ended up making like ninety. And uh, nice. that's kind of how I got, you know, started being a, a comic book creator. 
And that's kind of a little bit about how I kind of came across you myself. I was scouring through the lovely Twitterverse looking for a specific picture, a power pack, and I somehow came across an interview you did, and I forgot the name of the two ladies you did the interview with, but uh, it was on their show, and they, you were talking about how power pack was a big influence for you. So I clicked on it, started listening to it, and it was two African-American ladies talking to you, and they were talking to you about black, and, and I believe um, at the time you were working on your Kickstart for Black AF. Yeah. And as they're talking to you, you mentioned that you really identified with Katie Power. And as you kept on going, they said, whoa, 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 hold on a second, brother. We need to back up a second. <laughs> so uh, needless to say, I was very hooked in the interview, and I listened to it all. I went out, got black, uh, tagged you on Twitter, and it started a conversation with you about the book you wrote about Power Pack and asked you as nicely as I could without begging, saying, please come on our show. But can you just tell us a little bit about how you were a Power Pack fan and how you really identified with those kids? Well, I think it was just because I was really at the age that the characters were. So I think I started collecting, uh, reading Power Pack when I was about maybe seven. You know, I was already in the comic books. I had started with, you know, Peanuts, Archie, you know, all of those kind of like easy access comics that we pick up at grocery stores and stuff. And that's sort of like how I got into it. And Power Pack was the first time I saw like little kids as superheroes. And I was immediately like enthralled. And I think I saw an ad or something in like one of like either my dad, because my dad read comic books too, or a cousin or something like that. And I saw an ad for Power Pack. And I was like, what's this? <laughs> like little kid superheroes? <laughs> It's like, how do I, how do I get that? And I, you know, had to wherewithal, like, you know, harass my parents and saying like, I want to read this thing. You need to help me find it. <laughs> like, where is this? And I believe they picked up, I might've been like issue like four or five. So it already, you know, gone underway. Like, you know, even, despite my harassing, my parents didn't really like hit me to the fact that comic books came out once a month. <laughs> so <laughs> it took a while to catch on to that. But after that, that just became sort of like my obsession, you know, was, was power pack. And I just really identified with being small and under, and still like kind of understanding the world almost a little bit better than adults, but still being a kid and having that like naivety, like that fresh eye that like looked at the world in a new way. Cause that's how the kids like solve almost every problem. They're just like, I'm going to solve this like a five-year-old. Like I'm aware that this is a bad situation and I need to like, you know, correct it or like help, but I'm also five. <laughs> Instead of looking for the adult solution, looking for more of the, what's the shortest distance between two points using kid logic? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, what's great about the comic is that uh, there's a lot of people that have no idea what Power Pack is, but the people that do seem to all love it universally. Yeah, like w I was saying before, like it just has that classic charm that, you know, books like you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, Alice in Wonderland, like all those classics, like Harry Potter, like it proceeds like Harry Potter, but it has that same level of charm where it's like, mm -hmm. you're really getting to go on this adventure with these kids who are, you know, taking on the world the, the way we all did at that age, where it's just like, everything's new to me. And I'm mm -hmm. applying again, like that kid logic to it. It's like, no, that's wrong because it just is. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting you mentioned that uh, when we were talking with Louise Simonson, she really seemed to put a lot of her writing based upon her memory of her adventures with her siblings. Yep. And that's yeah. the same kind of thing you're saying is kind of recapturing that feeling of doing these pretend things 
which we would consider in the real world to be pretend things. But in this book, it's the real fantasy come to life, if you will. Yeah, I think one of my favorite issues was one of the early ones right after they moved to New York and Jack and Alex decide to go find Spider-Man. It's so yeah. dumb. It's so, like, but it's exactly what a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old boy would do. They're like, we just moved to New York and we have powers. Let's go find Spider-Man. Like, that's the issue. I would yep. want to do that. Yeah. I would be the person exactly. that would be like, hey, do I have roof access? Okay, I need to hang out up there with, like, I don't know, ice cream form or something. Yeah. And just, like, wave them down, have a Spidey flag, and be like, Spidey, Spidey, Spidey! Do you want some ice cream because you're awesome? You know, that would be me. <laughs> so I can totally, yeah. I totally get what uh, Jack and Alex were doing. So, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and, and let's let's get into this episode. Let's talk about this comic book because there's a lot to talk about. And then before we go, I want you to plug your entire series with black because i really like it yeah i actually want to talk about black because uh that was really it was really good and i'm like hey i want to talk to the creator about some of this stuff so <laughs> sure jeff start us off by giving us the two sentence replay from last episode if you will idiot and uruk hide and heal up while franklin helps kofi escape snark world by telling him to teleport into space and the other three power kids remain locked up in their crystalline cells waiting for their powers to be drained and transferred into jackal in the second part of the snark wars trilogy we also get a four-panel cameo of Cloak of Cloak and Dagger fame, saving Jim Power from some gang members while he was out looking for his kids. But, you know, why waste a sentence on that B-roll subplot? Am I right? Right. <laughs> now that the there are eight odd different storylines going on here, and it makes it hard to do a two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. So, um, because the kids are going on a power trip mm -hmm. because that's the name of the episode mm -hmm. i decided to bring a fantastic voyage by gigantic brewing hey that's a good name for a well a beer and also for a tie-in beer <laughs> yes and it's by gigantic which is you know they do good stuff they do good stuff yeah. so yeah this is an this has got a very cool cover i'll that, show you that in a yeah. second uh but this has an abv of 6.6 .6 with no ibu and um this is their first mixed fermentation brewing. The beer was made for the band Orchid and the song Into the Sun from their album Through the Devil's Doorway. I just like the fact of trying to tie in the fantastic voyage with the power trip. I mean, really, the voyage that the kids are on here is not so much fantastic as terrifying yep. um, and horrific. Yep. But if you look at this cover at this uh, label, it's kind of an ear growing. I don't know. You, you describe that. Yeah, this is like a surrealism dolly kind of painting. It is like an ear tree growing branches that have uh, like washers and gears hanging from it. It's uh, it's pretty trippy looking. And story time on it is, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Oh, so, yeah, there, there's that too. spoken from someone somewhere. So that's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it's an interesting looking uh, label on that and uh, interested in trying this out. Yeah, this is a... Uh... It's an, it's an oak-aged Brett Cezanne, so it's that too. What what are you drinking, Kwanzaa? So I was going to uh, get a flower power just so I could add a <laughs> power beer into the mix, but they had sold out of it at my local market, so I'm currently drinking a Blue Point Hoptical Illusion, which I think is a nice little segue from the cover of your beer because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> And I kind of assume that anything with the name Hoptical Illusion must have enough hops in it to make me hallucinate. Yeah, probably. Are you a hops fan? Huge hops fan. And it's unfortunate that IPAs have become so popular because now it just makes me that guy. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, me and Rick are both stout drinkers, but we've been drinking a lot of IPAs for the show. And so actually kind of starting to get a, a taste of them. You know, what kind of thing? And starting to be able to go, oh, that's an IPA that I like. That's right. weird. And these are IPAs that we're not a big fan of. But that looks, it's kind of bubbly. It's got a little bit of sediment in it. It uh, has a pretty nice kind of floral bouquet to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really cloudy. It kind of looks like a... Almost kind of looks like a hef, but yeah, it's got kind the, of like a, a really uh, like heavy sediment hef. Yeah, we can't see through this at all. Which if yeah. I just hold this in front of Jeff, I'm actually happy because I can't see his face. Oh, so kind of <laughs> me to have you in my place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's translucent because light does come through. But yeah, that's you can't see through it. What, what does yours uh, look like? Mine looks like it's in a brown bottle with a label <laughs> over it. So I don't I don't get to examine it in that way. Now I wish I had poured it into a glass like a gentleman instead of drinking it out of a bottle like a savage. <laughs> yeah, I'm a savage most no, of the no. time. I, I, most of the time we're most of the time we're splitting the beer I drink be, or bring. So no, no, no. Your house, you enjoy it as you will. Yeah. What does yours taste like, sir? Well, uh, let me take a sip and a bit of a sniff. So it's got a really nice aroma to it. Not too. I whenever there's something uh, that's pretty hoppy, I always try to sniff it to see like how much alcohol is in it. Because if it's yeah. a little too heavy, like then I pretty much figure I'm gonna have like a nasty beer on hand. But yeah, it's um it's pretty light actually for something that's so hoppy. So I don't really taste a lot of like hops in it, but I get the aftertaste of it after it kind of goes down. Um, mm-hmm. it also, kind of seems like it's a little um. I'm trying to find the right word for it, but it's kind of it's kind of got like a bit of a seltzery effect going on. Who was the uh, brewer for it? Blue Point. Blue Point. Yeah. You're in New York, correct? Yes. So it's probably local to New York. Yeah, I'm betting it's like a northeastern beer because they've got a picture of a lighthouse on it. So aside from like comic books and Power Pack in particular, I really like lighthouses. <laughs> so okay. I'm nice. I'm betting this bad boy is from like Maine or something like that. Well. You got to come out to Oregon and see some nice lighthouses that we have out here. Yep, lots and lots of lighthouses. And a lot of good IPAs, too. Yeah, we are IPA country. Sold. And now, the opening credits, if you please. Power Pack, issue number 25, July 1986. Power Trip. Credits. Writer, Louis Simonson. Artist, John Bogdanov. Bob Wycheck. Mark McKenna. Letterers, Joe Rosen. Colorist, Glennis Oliver and Paul Becton. Editor, Carl Potts. Editor-in-Chief, Jim Shooter. And special thanks to Tom Morgan and Jose Marzin for helping to defeat the dreaded deadline of doom. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. G, Julie Power, a.k.a. Lightspeed, Jack Power, a.k.a. Massmaster, Katie Power, a.k.a. The Energizer, Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Tattletale, Kofi, Friday, guest starring The Snarks, Emperor Bacha, Queen Maraud, High Snark Jackal, Chancellor Hodge, The Chameleon, Ambassador Ural, The Humans, James and Maggie Power, Dagger, The Fantastic Four, Jarvis. Oh my. (laughs) (sighs) All right. We've got 41 pages of story to get through, so hold on tight. Picking up right from the end of last issue, Alex, Julie, and Jack are trapped in the crystals of the transfer machine, with Jackal ready to receive their powers. Since they are pretty well locked in, they are using the power of speech to fight against Maraud, warning her that it will kill her son. How are those threats working on changing the Queen's mind? Alright, well, let me turn the page here and see. Well, instead of turning the transfer machine off, she starts monologuing like a perfectly good villain about how powerful her son will be, how the throne will soon be theirs, ma ha ha ha. Which I guess means that she really does not care. 
So energy flares, lights flash, evil laughters left, and the kids break through the broken crystals without their powers. Um, I would say that their pleas fell on snark ears, but the art suggests they don't have any. And the winner of the evil slot machine is... Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, Jackal. He busts out this crystal in an awesome panel showing his power and awesomeness. His body and head are black, ending in the yellow-black checker pattern of G's powers. The yellow spiraling off his lower body around the rainbow of Lightspeed's power, while a cloud of smoke hangs behind, showing Mass Master's power. Though the fire sears my nerves, I have survived the transfer. The power, at last, is mine! Presenting your evil villain for the evening, Super Jekyll! <laughs> no doubt. And he instantly flies down, picks up the powerless pipsqueaks, and is prepared to smash them into the ground to make paste. But is stopped by Barad before they were commodities to be drained, and now they're hostages to trap the missing power child, which is Katie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You gotta catch them all. Speaking of which... <laughs> Meanwhile, miles below, home of the fighting cave climbers. So Katie is still hanging with the cave-dwelling burrowers and Yurk, uh, like literally hanging off the subterranean waterfall cave. So they're attempting to get back to the surface, but they have to traverse like this serious waterfall. In order to make sure Yurik can make it through the hole, Katie starts disintegrating some of the rock. While a smart accessibility maneuver, it is not a good logistics move. The bright glow she is now giving off is really damaging to the cave dweller's eyes, and the tight quarters mean she cannot just let the energy go. So instead, she slips on the water-covered rocks. Flash! Fires a powerball. Shacked. Which hits the roof. Boom! And causes a collapse. Rumble! And you thought you would have problems working with our sound effects. Insert prices right loser sound effect? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I deserve that. I deserve that. As the rocks fall on the party, the cave dwellers cover Katie, leaving Chimelion to his own devices, as they are all covered with rubble. Meanwhile, miles above... Home of the fighting... Look, it's just three panels. Marauder and Jackal feel the rumbling and muse about its causes until other snarks enter the room to inform them that Hodge is attempting to attack the Emperor. Marauder orders the unconscious trio of depowered power children to be shackled and leads her son out to meet the dying Emperor. Because, you know, villains gotta rub people's noses in it and stuff. But you guys don't really need to do that joke for every transition, do you? Ting interruptions. Well, it is tradition. Meanwhile, back on Earth... Home of the fighting... No. No, no fighting, just sad parents. Yeah, so Jim's at the hospital and has just informed his wife that the kids are missing. This is a pretty rough scene. Makey is getting better, about to be released, and she finds out that her kids are missing and her husband was beat up as he went looking for them. Before he leaves, he comforts her and says that he has met someone named Cloak who will help. Speaking of which, as the melancholy father walks home alone from the hospital, Cloak's partner Dagger appears and she offers him hopes that she will be looking as well. Since you're a guest on our show, what are your feelings about Cloak and Dagger? Uh, I've always thought that Cloak and Dagger were much like Power Pack. They were like this great idea from back in the 80s and stuff like that, that, you know, kind of got left back in the 80s. I mean, they have that TV show now that I don't watch, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't watch that as well. We have so much in common. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it's funny because I think it's a different Cloak and Dagger. Like, I kind of like the classic version because I'm just like, it's very on the nose. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he wears a cloak. She throws daggers. They're made of white. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you can't do any better. She's white and privileged. He He's black and comes from the slums. Yeah, I kind of wish the opening song for it would be like Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. It's not? <laughs> I thought that was just playing whenever they showed up on scene. <laughs> so back to the story. Uh, it was awfully nice of her to check in with Jim Powers, even though she scared the poor. Meanwhile, back on Snark World, home of the fighting formation of soldiers. Correctamundo. Murad and Jackal are proceeding in front of a line of Snarks at attention. There's a lot of odd whispers in the ranks as the high Snark Jackal follows Queen Murad. He is degrabbed, sporting a full black body as he carries a chain floating in the air behind him. Attached to that chain, floating like balloons, are Jack, Julie, and Alex. Their hands and feet are bound close together behind them in one of the most uncomfortable and painful drawings, but also really cool looking. So points to John for John that one. The kids finally wake up and begin to talk about their predicament, which is bad. They have no powers, are tied up, they look like the worst Thanksgiving Day balloons, and they have no idea where Katie is or if she's even alive. All of their chatter has caught the attention of Jackal. Shut up back there, you hatchlings. We allow no talking in the ranks here on Snark World. And with a yank, the kids are whipped forward. Zip. As Maraud reaches the end of the line, one of her soldiers reports that Kofi has teleported into the smart ship Friday. Maraud orders them to continue to jam all radio and to send a warning to the ship. And speaking of which, Friday is playing that warning to their two passengers. And what does the warning say? Just your standard issue, surrender or the hostages will die. Kofi's not handling this well at all. No siree Bobby. He is in pure panic mode. His poor little forelock is shivering. Franklin calms down the teleporting team and this gives Coffee an idea. He tasks Franklin to use his dream power to find the kids. Then Coffee can teleport them out. Frank's skeptical because he has been looking and he can't find them, but he said he'd try again. And then Franklin kicks on the greatest superpower of them all. He makes himself fall asleep on command. Oh, what I would not give for that power. Meanwhile in the Avengers Mansion, home of the fighting Fantastic Four. But it's the Avengers Mansion. But the Fantastic Four are there. Occupation does not equate ownership. Have you met Reed Richards? You make a fair argument. Well, it is breakfast time, and Jarvis has some strange blonde woman entering Franklin's room to wake him up. Dude, that's Sue Storm, the invisible woman, Franklin's mom. Oh, that's what she looks like. Nice. I see what you did there. After entering the room, the pair discover that, much like Franklin's parents and Sue's power, Franklin has disappeared. And I see what you did there, too. A quick call to arms brings Mr. Fantastic, the Human Torch, and She-Hulk running. They all agree that the Tiny Tyke is gone because, I mean, what do you need? Four people to decide a child's missing? Sue has hoped that Franklin has left a note. Because he's a five-year-old and that's exactly what he'd do. But the only thing she found is one of his drawings stuck to the window. The same drawing that shows Franklin Friday and the Snarks. Hmm. Meanwhile in a familiar rock-filled cave. Home of the Fighting Rocks. You just are not going to kill that bit, are you? Home of the Unkillable Joke. Franklin is trying to figure out why his dream power took him to this empty cave. He admits that his dreams are confusing sometimes, and that he doesn't always know what they mean. And as he fades out, we see a chameleon hand emerge from the rock pile. Oh, Franklin, you just give up too easy. And that hand belongs to Yerk. After freeing himself, Yerk realizes Katie must be covered as well. He quickly begins to dig her out, freeing the cave dwellers as well. He picks up the battered child in her torn costume and declares that she's dying. 
but he does not have his powers to save her. Meanwhile... Okay, you know what? In the Emperor's bath chamber... Home of the fighting bubble bath. Hodge is walking towards Emperor Baja like an extra on The Walking Dead. And what at first looks like an alien retelling of Psycho quickly turns into an explanation that Hodge wants to use his healing powers on Baja, not Jackal. Unfortunately, Hodge's body has had enough of this. It's shutting down and the power is being ripped out of her. This coincides with the entrance of Murad and Jackal, but before Murad can order Hodge's death, the dying counselor drops a warning before dropping dead. Your pardon, Majesty. I cannot save you. But smile, Majesty. Know that doomed as you are, so also is Jackal doomed. For the hatchlings were ripe, Murad. The chameleon power transfer kills our guide. And as Hodge dies... Down in the caverns, Yurk's healing power transfers back. And just in time, he pours on the healing into the young girl dying in his arms, as he says, Live, Katie, live. You must not die. You must not. Uh, Lord Yurk, it's just like Kofi says, you should give a lot of orders. And back above, Marat is not too pleased with her former stooge. While she vents about the betrayal to her son, Franklin appears to the trussed up and forgotten floating power children. Alex, Julie, Jack, I found you. Hey, what's going on? Where are we anyway? Where's Katie? A collective group shush later, we go back to the corrupt Maraud, who directs her son to throw the dying emperor from the window. Ah, defenestration. A classic. And as he drops the chain and the children... Wump, chunk, thump. He states... As you command, my mother. Bacha puts up a decent fight. You know for a sick guy in a bathtub, but his laser passes right through Jackal's cloud form. And then, just to add a little bit more insult to injury, <laughs> Jackal, <laughs> um, he Jackal hammers Bacha's scepter out of his hands. That's my jackhammer. He's using our powers to kill the Emperor. Um, yeah, Jack, that's kind of the point. Jackal has the Emperor out of the bath and in the air with one hand. Now it's the time for Power Pack to make their move, to save the Emperor. And so they do their best. Scoot, hop, waddle, wriggle. Power pack, attack. Oh, knock it off, Alex. We're about as scary as a wad of wiggling worms. Oof, um, what a stupid time to come up with a battle cry. And yet, <laughs> somehow, the trussed up trio of tykes tie up the terrible Teratos and they tug the toppling titan towards them. This causes Jackal to drop the emperor back into the bath and also puts him in the Hall of Fame for worst villain ever. Fletch! Never have I seen such troublesome captives. Jackal tosses the three kids across the chamber and scoops the dying snark back up. Well, yeah, hey, they tried. This has given Franklin some time to think and develop a new power. He causes his body, still asleep back on Friday, to sleep talk to Kofi. He wants him to teleport into the Emperor's chamber, and he is sending a picture of the room into Kofi's mind. So I guess that's uh, two new powers. So let's check this out. Reed Richards, smartest guy in the Marvel Universe, this kid's dad, put power dampers on his mind. Still, Franklin's able to have precognitive dreams, astral projection, and some low-level telepathy at four and a half. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kofi still gets the message, and Friday brings the young chameleon close to the palace, dodging lasers and enemy ships. When Kofi arrives, he reminds Franklin that he can only teleport one person at a time. As they start to figure out how to save the three kids, Alex interjects that they have to save the Emperor. This is a problem. With the fire Friday is taking, they have time for just one teleport. 
Alex is insistent that saving the Emperor would help all of Snark World. Against Franklin's pleas to save Power Pack instead, Kofi teleports away to save the Emperor. The same Emperor that Jackal is tossing out the window. Chris. Kofi teleports under the plummeting ruler and then brings them both into the safety of the smart ship Friday. Ram. Friday takes a massive hit. The damaged smart ship, now carrying an awake and angry Franklin, a uh, dying naked and wet snark camper, and a teenage teleporter from Camellia, takes off fast. Yes, but did they also walk into a bar? No. <laughs> Two of them are underage. What do you guys get up to on the West Coast? Well, we can talk about that after the podcast, because it's family-friendly, and some of our stories aren't. Back in this story, Friday is taking some amazing evasive maneuvers, tossing Franklin and Kofi into the Naked Emperor. Ew. Awkward. Yeah, luckily Friday gets away, but Queen Maraud takes this as an opportunity, quickly contacting her clan and announcing that the Emperor has been assassinated by the Chameleons and his body stolen. Thankfully, they have put underwear on the unconscious ruler, and while Kofi tries to slap him awake, a sulking Franklin picks at Maj's leg. Yeah, Franklin is really angry that they wasted time getting this dying alien instead of their friends. I mean, this guy is a couple of breaths away from some new shoes and a set of luggage. And the war wages on outside with two huge battleships firing on each other and causing more damage to poor Friday as the one they were next to explodes. Thankfully, Franklin and Kofi have seen Weekend at Bernie's because they prop up Bodja in front of the computer screen, hoping to con the snarks into knocking it off. The Emperor wakes up long enough to try and call off the attacking ships, telling them that Murad is a liar liar, pants on fire. Unfortunately, the Snarks have also seen Weekend at Bernie's, and they believe that this is a trick and that the Emperor is really dead. <laughs> you guys watched Weekend at Bernie's. Since that plan has failed, Friday, who has watched Short Circuit, dives into a wrecked Snark ship, kicking out debris to fake their destruction, and sets up survival suits for Badcha, Kofi, and Franklin. Friday is severely damaged and has to enact repairs stat. Meanwhile, back at the castle, home of the fighting hostages. More like sitting ducks. Murad has finally agreed with Jackal's request to end the Power Kids' lives. It will be my greatest joy. But as he prepares to execute them, starting with the annoying and taunting Jack <laughs> with his ruinous claw. Badoom. Katie Power! My girl shows up like Arya Stark in the last episode of Game of Thrones. Drop them, Jackal. Let my brothers and sister go. Yeah, it's time to get this party started like a six-year-old. And Jackal is ready to dance. He may hate all the power kids, but he despises Katie. Unfortunately, Murad still wants to have the whole set of McPower Happy Meal toys and directs him to capture Katie. Keep out of this old queen. This is a vendetta. War between me and this small monster. And with the rest of the family begging Katie to blast this creep to kingdom come, and Katie demurs, she's done being a weapon. No! I can't! I saw his hand! I saw how I hurt him! I'll never hurt anyone like that! Ever again! It's okay, Jackal. You can take me. I am a monster. I'll come with you. Only you've got to let them go. Speaking of them, while this drama has been unfolding, the cave dwellers who arrived with Katie have been sneaky, sneaky little balls of awesome sauce. Balls of awesome sauce. You do know that I'm a professional writer and this is kind of hurting my soul. Do what I do. Blame Rick and then drink his beer. But he is correct about the background movements. One of the cave dwellers has stolen some object from Murad's pocket, which distracts her. Others are dragging the power children to the exit and unlocking them. Alex, Julie, and Jack watch in horror as a cloudy jackal swirls around Katie, solidifying only his gnarled hand and grabbing the young girl by the throat before flying towards the transfer chamber. 
Snark guards start to give chase to the powers, Lord Yurik and the cave dwellers, while... Meanwhile, hurtling towards Snarkwheel's surface... Home of the fighting and crashing ships. Friday may have made it from space, but it's not looking too good. In fact, Kofi is being pressed to get ready to teleport himself and two others. Stat. Really stat. You want me to say that? Stat? I hope you weren't looking in a mirror because you just said stat three times, which means that you might have summoned the stat man. The terrified teen is trembling and tense. Taking two is the top tier of teleporting. The traveling tot tells the teleporter to take the emperor. Totally terrible idea. The trio will travel together. And another alliterating announcement, always awesome and allowable. Any advice or assurance about attempting an account alone? Nope. I think you've got it, new guy. I think you've got it. Anyway, Kofi makes the jump as Friday crashes. Crassoomp. And only he and Badger appear. The frightened foal reaches into the remnants of his teleportation field, trying to find his young friend, finally pulling Franklin out. Hooray! Guys, um, uh, Friday crashed and looks to be in a billion burning pieces. Boo! Harsh, but at least Franklin is safe, and all three are alive, standing on Snark World. Bacha takes the moment to compare Kofi to his father, specifically how Yurik would worry and imagine the worst, even when he would do something new and great. Kofi really wants to know how and why his father changed, but they're interrupted by some large and ominous, if not familiar, shadows. Hey guys. What? what? Meanwhile in a narrow cavern. Home of the fighting co-hosts. Rumble boom. Alex, Julie, and Jack, now unbound, along with Yurik in a clutch of cave dwellers. Hey, that's who those large, ominous, if not familiar, shadows belong to in the last scene. Yes. As I was saying, they don't know the sound they just heard was their favorite smart ship smashing into the planet, but they do recognize that the tunnels are unstable. Yurik is passing out orders, saying they need to work together, and it is his opinion that Power Pack sucks at this, especially since their usual modus operandi is to argue and then force Katie to smash something. Alex true to form, snaps at the healer. Yeah, well, have you got a better way? If we're going to stop this stupid war, somebody's got to smash Jackal and Maraud, and Katie's all we got left. And before the really intellectual yelling and bickering can start, the room starts a-rocking. And thanks to a hearty shove from Jack, the three kids and a couple of cave dwellers are separated from the pushy pony by a massive cave-in. You guys really like those horse puns. We are full of them. Hey, I just want to know, Winnie, you were going to join in. But if you don't want to, just say nay. I canter blame you if you don't want to. Why, oh why did I agree to this? Hey, it could be worse. You could be stuck in a cave with Alex. He is angry and frustrated, and downright mean. Instead of asking nicely for some help out of the caves, he grabs a burrower and starts shaking it, demanding they guide them to Katie. The shaking little dude points the way, and the group runs off, talking about how since they don't have powers, they're going to have to really start to use teamwork to save their sister. Which kind of seems like a really novel idea. Or they could just use a chain again. That seems effective. <laughs> that means they got to find a chain first. And that might take teamwork to find a chain. I think it's just all downhill from here. Alright, well, meanwhile, not far away. Hey, that's my shtick. Home of the fighting snoozers or losers. Jakal, carrying the captured and crying Katie, chooses a course of catcalling the kiddo to cast a chemical cannonball. Convulsing his captive, the criminal cackles. I think he's got the hang of this. Hey, Wanza, have you ever thought about co-hosting a podcast? I might be able to make an opening. Hey, I'm sitting right here, and I'm putting a stop to this. Just like Murad tells Jackal to quit playing with his victims and throw her in the crystal. And that's when Jackal realizes that he might be an adult and is questioning the Queen's commands. 
He has enough power, and he already feels as though his body is at its limit. He even suspects that taking on the other power will kill him. But you, dearest mother, see me as a vessel of power. Your power. You'd gladly ruin me if you could rule through me. It would be easier if I was mad or half-dead like the Emperor, wouldn't it, mother dearest? You know that line? That one that you should never cross with someone more commanding and domineering than you? Yeah, well, Jackal just hopped over that by a mile, and Maraud slaps her son. Calls him a coward and a fool. She would sacrifice anything for the strength of their clan. And how dare he do any less? Basically, just don't talk back to your mama. <laughs> I think that's the lesson to take away from here. <laughs> but either way, the humble son grabs his snout and does a Charlie Brown walk of shame to the crystal, tossing Katie into in there with force, anger, and disregard of a child throwing a temper tantrum and crawls into the receiving pod to shilt. With the pieces in place, the Mad Matriarch flips the Dr. Frankenstein switch and begins the process. As she does, the other three kids arrive on the scene in time to hear the truth out of the mouth of babes. I hate my flowers. Jackal, you, you can have it. It makes Alex, it makes everybody treat me like a god to aim at things. And I kill them. This reveal shocks Alex to the core, but not so much that it stops him from saying that they need to save her. So, as a group, they rush out to do just that. And it is a good thing they do, because as the process finishes, Katie's crystal breaks and she starts to fall to the floor far, far below. Alex sprints across the floor and does an impressive knee slide to catch his falling sister in his arms. Keep that up and he's not going to be able to stand up without sounding like a box of Rice Krispie treats when he hits 40. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. He might not get the chance to make it to his next birthday, because Jackal's also done cooking in the Snarkeasy Bake Oven. And this boy is done! And like the Avengers, we have entered the end game. Hey, Jeff, y'all ready for this? Hang on, let me have a sip of beer. Scratch! And then dude comes busting out a machine, destroying everything in sight, power just like Kirby crackling off him in waves. Scratch! I burn! I seethe with power! I am power! Hushing! Rambling! The energized power circles him and shades the room. His anger and anguish are feeding off of his burning body, holding in the alien power. Power Pack stands in awe as the destruction occurs around them, confused and unsure what to do. They have no powers, and Jackal has become power incarnate. Now, little Katie, little wiggling wormlet, I will fry you, as you fried me, for I am pain. And there is nothing that my mother, dearest mother, can do to stop me. You know, I'm really beginning to think he has some unresolved psychological Oedipus issues towards his mommy. You think? Jack is not one to sit around and not act, powers or not. Remember when he attacked a snark with a flashlight way back in issue number one? Well, check out him Donkey Kong the snark now by rolling some barrels at him. There's more than one way to jackhammer somebody, monster breath. The rolling barrel trips the distracted snark and he, like Katie used to, blasts off an errant fireball destroying the catwalk. A catwalk? Yes, a catwalk. Does he do a little turn on it? I'm not going to even know. 
The kids regroup as Jackal mixes some powers together and clouds up like a lightning storm. Then he starts to have a conversation with his mommy. They are mine, mother. Mine to destroy. Do not touch them, or you will also feel my hand. Oh, somebody got powers. He's ready to give that slap back. Inside the cloud, the Energizer power is bouncing around like lightning, and Katie wakes up in Alex's arms, and he starts talking to her. You know, baby, you're pretty heavy without my G powers. Take a drink. I'm sorry, Alex. I just couldn't use my power to hurt him. Look, Katie, maybe we're better off without powers. You thought yours made you into a monster, but it was me it made act like a monster. And... Skip the true confessions, bro. We gotta get out of here. And again, it's appearing that Jack is the voice of reason. Julie and Jack begin to distract Jackal so Alex and Katie can get away. Unfortunately, Maraud appears in front of them and explains that she has ordered Jackal to kill them. So no trying to cut out early. That would be rude. Jack, meanwhile, is dealing with Jackal. Or at least Jackal's energized hands. They are reaching out for him from the foggy mist. As promised, Hatchling, you will be the first to die by my hand. This encourages Jack to beat feet, so he scampers up the broken catwalk, trapping himself as Jackal begins to disintegrate the flooring, causing Jack to jump up and away. I'll fall, but if he touches me, I'm... Hey, I'm floating. I got checkers, but how? Why? This is Alex's power. Even better, the now fully weighted Jackal begins to fall. Now Jackal is a glass half full kind of guy. He recognizes that one of the powers is gone, but he also realizes that his pain is lessened. And he realizes that a floating Jack is an easy target. The still superior sinister snark speeds at the suddenly soaring and surprised sporting son of a scientist. His sister smacks the super snark snout with the salvage support strut. Splatwing! Yeah, Julie just nails him with a metal bar, jumping in the air as she brings it down on his head. Like, seriously, this guy has all of their powers, and they're just, like, beating him with found objects. Well, they're using teamwork, and we've learned that the power of teamwork can overpower any giant alien with massive numbers of superpowers. It makes the dream work. He's also not firing on all of his cylinders right now. He's clearly has a little bit of pain. Okay. And he's insane. And psychotic. You have hurt me, Hatchling, and for that I will destroy you! Jackal has grabbed Julie and is about to disintegrate her, but Alex knocks Murad's laser gun at Jackal, and it goes off. This causes Jackal to mist and drop Julie. But he ain't done yet. Julie is on the floor and Jackal blasts off a powerball at her, which passes right through the misted of Julie. I... I'll... it went right through me. But how? Jack, what's going on? Look, I've got your power! Murad is really ticked off now. Her disappointment of a son is down two powers and all four power kids are still alive. Well, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. The queen knocks over Alex and Katie with her foot and then raises her laser, looking to end a couple of lives. Luckily, we have two new power kids ready to save their siblings. Julie jumps in, copying Jack's jackhammer move and knocks Murad's laser off target. Katie takes off running one way, quickly followed by the energized and flying Jakal. Run where you will, Hatchling. You, at least, I will slay. But here comes Jack to save the day in his own special way. Wait a minute. I can do a jackhammer. I can't shrink, but I'll bet it'll work full size, especially if I try that heavy gravity stuff for extra wallop. Thunk, shracked, groom. This head-smacking gravity hammer causes Jackal to open up a hole in the floor with a powerball dropping Katie into yet another bottomless pit. 
Julie, Julie, save me! Julie flies down in cloud form, knowing that it's useless. She can't fly fast enough, and would never be able to save her system in mist form. No. Jackal turns his attention to Jack, who jumps and floats up in the air. But the flying bad guy starts to follow him, and then stops. His rainbow flying power has vanished. No. Because Katie has it, and she flies out of the hole with the biggest smile on her cute little face. Alex, Jack, look! I won't fall anymore, and and I got Julie's power, and and Alex. But Alex is in trouble. Both Jackal and Murad are aiming to kill the leader of the pack. Just before Murad's laser hits Alex, Katie flies in and saves him. Hooray! And the laser blast nails Jakal. Double hooray! Energy pouring into me. Can't block it. Can't, can't stop. Finally, mother, you have murdered me. But even in death, the boy is mine. Shucks. And a powerball arches up and through Alex... And he starts glowing? Uh, we should take this moment to assess the situation with the power kids. Uh, Katie has the light speed power. Jack has the G power. Alex has the energizer power. And Julie has the mass master power. Jackal has the power of death. Well, is his own death. And Murad has the power of love. Please do not start singing Huey Lewis songs. I just can't handle that. Besides, I really do not think she loves anyone. At this point, the rest of the cast show up courtesy of a mob of cave dwellers. Yurik makes a medical diagnosis that Jackal's body couldn't handle the strain of the transferred powers and that they have destroyed his brain. Emperor Batch informs everyone that he has contacted the combatants and that the hostilities are over, for now. And this is because he knows that his poisoned body will fail him soon, and there is nothing, nothing that can be done to reverse it. So it's at this point that Jakal, with his dying breath, offers up his body to the Emperor to use, because it's not like the brain he had in it was doing him any good anyway. While his mind is destroyed, his body can still be salvaged. This is his way of apologizing and rubbing it into his mother's face that she has failed. Jackal, no, what have you done to me? Justice, and oh, how you must hate it, mother dearest. Thanks to a well-placed page break and some off-panel building and science, we now have a giant ceremony where the brain and nervous system of Bacha is being transferred molecule by molecule into the body of Jackal, with Yurik in the middle. Talk about jokers to the left of me and clowns to the right. Am I right? Huh? Huh? Yeah, so Steeler's wheel lyrics aside, the transfer goes well. The Emperor has done this in front of his people to provide full transparency to ensure there's no shenanigans. Wow. Sure would be nice to see something like that nowadays. Not gonna argue with that. Badsha also refuses to have Jackal's burnt hand fixed. He wants to honor Jackal's final sacrifice, and to have it a reminder to all of the terrible price of war. And we end this giant issue with a quintet of happy children who do not hear Franklin and Coffee talking about how they basically killed Friday and have not told the powers yet. Whoops! Next issue, going home. New powers, new dangers. Huzzah! Huzzah! 41 pages nice. of awesomeness! Yeah, that's a double issue for you. I gotta say, reading this again, that was like Avengers level. A lot happened yeah. in this issue. That a was really great. A lot happened, yeah. That's why when I sat down and I started writing it out originally, I was going, okay, I'm just going to be working on this. A week later, I was like, I'm still working on this, and I'm only about halfway through. Yeah. And I don't know how to make it any simpler. You can see all the different people that helped out on this. Yeah, you know, that's got, a, there's a lot of names in this they've, one. They've got has. a lot of people helping out with art. They got a lot of people helping out with coloring, and a lot of people just helping out to make sure the deadlines, you know, didn't go by. But no, this is. I mean, and there's a lot that happens, and everything changes. I mean, the kids all got new powers. 
you know, they went from the middle of the Snark Wars all the way to the denouement of the Stark Wars. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, there's just a lot in here. Let's go back to the very, very beginning and let's talk about this cover. Because once again, we got Marvel 25th anniversary up in the corner box with all the kids, except that there's some weird coloring going on with the kids here. Because something's oh, wow, going on with yeah. Franklin there. Fra- uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's... Yeah, that is Franklin's in a blue costume, and he's got uh, white hair, and Julie's rainbow is... Just all pink. Yeah, pink in the center and white along the uh, edges, so the uh, yeah, yellow have- and blue is missing. And- well, if you guys want to hear something really funny, I'm looking at the digital version on Comixology, and they thought that they would correct that mistake by making sure that Franklin's hair was brown. Oh, perfect. <laughs> nice. They're like, no, no, there's been a mistake here. <laughs> Yeah, they will they, they were trying, fix they, it. They were making him Jack, is what it really boils down yeah. to. His uh, the symbol on his outfit is correct, though. Yeah, so yeah, that, he's got the uh, the keyhole symbol, or as I like to call it, the snitching symbol. The yeah. snitching. <laughs> <laughs> Snitches get more astral projection powers. <laughs> yeah, they get more powers. Yeah. So uh, the cool thing about this cover, though, is we've got a very creepy looking jackal that's kind of half misted, and there's a powerball coming out of his chest, but he's. I don't know, he's very strangely drawn. He's got green lightning coming off yeah. him, which is, uh, I think, yeah. what's probably throwing you. Yeah. But then you got the kids down there, and you got, like, you know, Alex is pushing out his chest, and he's got a rock in his hand. Jack has, thrown, has already thrown a rock up. Julie's got a stick, and Katie's passed out. It's interesting, though, because I originally saw this, and it looks kind of like a Powerball is coming out of Alex's It chest. really does look like a Powerball is coming out of Alex's chest. Uh, but you, it, you then yeah. you look at it further, and you're like, oh, the projection point is off of Jackal. But it is kind of, it's almost like they said, how about just a little foreshadowing, a little and we'll have a Powerball projection kind of bit coming, kind of like arcing into Alex, so you can be like, oh, what's going on here? So, yeah. Well, this is yet another uh, John Bogdanov and Bob Wyacek a bog and bob as we like to call them cover what do you guys think of this you like it i loved it because i remember seeing this as a fan and like there, there's something to be said for like really good storytelling in a in a cover with a single image and you immediately yeah. get this you know yeah. because in all of the other covers the power kids are always using their powers a bit and when you see like this jackal even though it's colored a little bit off like shooting a power ball there's clouds around and stuff like that you get the notion it's like holy he's got yeah. their power we don't know what happened like this is great and Jack's got a rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jack's like, I got every I got every superpower I need. I got a rock. And considering how the issue goes, that's all they really needed. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. No, I, I like this. This this pretty much tells the story. This this could be right in the scene. I mean, yeah. we don't have a scene where they're throwing rocks and they've got a stick. Well, but it's, Jack Jack rolled a, a chunk of machinery at yeah, him, I mean, and uh, Julie did clonk him in the head with yeah. a with a support strut. And but it's, uh, but it's I don't still, know, Katie was probably knocked out several times. So yeah. But this is this is definitely closer to truth and truth and advertising rather yeah. than a lying cover the, or yeah, yeah entrapped or yeah, yeah entrapped with, yeah, or, yeah. or a, a direct image taken out of it but this is no this is a very very good cover this is one i would definitely i'd throw this one up on the wall sometime no it's it's a great looking cover it does look really good the art on it's great and uh like you were saying uh you know a story in one image and yeah this is totally it so but let's talk about some other things about this because there's a lot yep we got new powers for the kids yes we do yeah and i mean we don't well they're the same powers but they just shift around yeah good good point good point we've all read the rest of the, the issues at one point in time or the other but if we were going back in time and looking at this just as brand new readers, we're like, okay, what's going to happen now? Yeah. They've got new powers. They've got to learn the new, the new things. We have to get used to the characters having these new powers. How does this change the dynamics a bit? We're going to see that in other the rest of the issues, but 
kind of what's your first thoughts on this? When I was a kid and I read this, I lost my natural mind. <laughs> because this is this is great for like like this is classic like if you're a collector and you're a reader and like this was a big event moment like something really fundamental changed for these kids with them switching up powers and they really do a good job of having them do like a few new things to sort of foreshadow what's going to happen at first like jack doing that jackhammer is just kind of like oh he can still do it that's interesting what else is going to be different so it was just something really cool to see happen and it then set a precedent that would have that you know would take place later on you know throughout the series with them being able to do that. I know that um, my first interactions with Power Pack came around issue twenty seven, about two two or three more. Actually, I can't remember if it was twenty seven or twenty eight. It's the uh, issue where it crosses over with um, the Mutant Massacre. That was the first issue of Power oh, Pack yeah. that I bought. So I actually saw the kids with their new powers, still getting used to the new powers. And it's when I went back and looked at the original issues, I was going, oh. Well, this all makes a lot more sense. So I wasn't living with the kids straight out of the gate and seeing the change occur. So I really like the fact that you brought that in and seeing what you thought as a reader at the time. I was kind of reading a little bit behind. So it was less of a shock to me when I read it. But I like that perspective. I like the fact that you brought that in. And just kind of being able to realize it did the intended effect of you know, stopping the readers and going, wait, wait, something's changed. Things are different. We don't like change. Okay, so if you came into it when they had their uh, different power sets, when you went back and saw them having their original power set, was it weird to you? It kind of made more sense. Like I said, I picked it up just when they were learning to use the new powers. And so they were kind of, they were having a lot of conversations with each other about, okay, how do you use this? And I remember there was the one scene that's coming up where Alex is giving Jack his wings and, and, Jack is kind of like, ah, yay. <laughs> like, I don't need that crap. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Cool. Now I look like Spider-Man with web pits. That's really great. <laughs> Everybody loves web pits. The one thing that I noticed going forward is that some of them take it really easy that they can just figure out how to use the new powers and they kind of accept it. And then there's a couple of them that are like, wow, they're even better with my powers than I never was. Yeah. I think it was really a blow for Alex, too, because at, in one sense, he got what was considered the most powerful power, but then he mm-hmm. realized, oh, I can't fly. The things he was always telling Katie to do, too, is that now he's got to do it. You know, he's got to watch that he's not glowing. He's got to be careful yeah. about losing his temper, you know, because we just seen him lose his temper once with his power, and he picked up and threw Johnny Rival across the uh, across what was, that, the what, was that, what was that guy's name? Johnny Rival. Johnny Rival? Yes. God, that's a good name. (laughs) It's a fantastic name. name. (laughs) So now if he loses his temper, what's going to happen? I'm going to be excited if I see Alex later and he's all like, I'm tired of everybody treating me like a gun. (laughs) 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 It'd just be wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, Alex, exactly. (laughs) Speaking of, uh, you know, people reacting differently or people changing a little bit, let's talk about Jackal's change of heart. Mm Mm-hmm. So at the end, I mean, we, we've built him up like this big, bad monster. And he's, you know, out to just kill and destroy and kill and destroy. And he finally gets it that really his worst enemy is his mommy. What do we think about the quick change that occurs there? I don't know if he so much made like a quick change or if it was just kind of done as like a little bit of spite. You know, it was sort of along the lines. He's like, I'm not going to be able to be emperor. Uh, the Stark Wars are going to continue. Uh, I'm not going to be around to reap the rewards. There's no point for the war to the for the wars to keep going on. Here, we can we can have peace and I'll just give my body to, you know, Badsha. And also, eat it, Mom. You killed me. You're the one who wanted it to go this way. I would have been happy just shooting people with lasers. Yeah, I have to agree. It was definitely a eat it, Mom. 
Like, yeah. there was no change of heart. He was just kind of like, I did all this, and this is all I get is this T-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there was a huge amount of nobility there. No, the T-shirt no. says, ow, 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 <laughs> ow, 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 I'm in pain. <laughs> the T-shirt also, on the back, it just says, my mommy made me. <laughs> <laughs> and on the same token, how much do we really trust Bodshev? Is he like the epitome of, polit- of a politician or what? I don't know. I, I kind of trust him. Uh, yeah. He, he he's trying to change policy. He's making unpopular decisions because he's like, he's going, you know, I'm tired of all these wars happening. Uh, it would be nice if the people that want to rule, if they did it in single combat and that left out all these innocent people. He's also friends with Yurik. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but... <laughs> Yurik seems to kind of try in his own way, but he's got his own, you know, terrible dark backstory. I think he's just been around with snarks too long. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm sure it'll be something like, uh, you know, he was happy-go-lucky and then his wife died kind of thing. Again, uh, yeah, I've read the comics, but it's been so long I don't remember. Yeah. So yeah, it, he'll have some sort of backstory where he's like, ah, uh, decision that I made ended up in the, res- you know, somebody that I cared about dying. And uh, I'm just, I just got to make it so that nobody dies again at the ignorance of my son. So I, I, got, I got faith in Badja. All right. Bacha 2020. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do any worse. (laughs) No, I I do like the fact that he uh, keeps the hand that, you know, he he wants this to be a symbol. Murad's got to kind of just eat it. Yeah. Um, I love the fact with his hand, too, that, you know, he's like, no, I'm going to keep this as a symbol of his sacrifice and also as a, you know, a visible visible reminder of the terrors of war. And people are like, yeah, that's Badcha. He's totally stubborn that way. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, just fix your hand, man. He's like, no, because of the triumph and the will of, you know, they're all, Seriously, it looks ugly. We can't eat with that in front of us. It's like, that thing's going to fall off if you don't do just a little bit of Bactine. Just a little bit of Bactine. Come just, on, just man. get it fixed up a bit. Didn't you see Shape of Water? We all know how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of science, though, what kind of questionable science is this that the mind is destroyed, but the body is okay? I'm just thinking that all these power comes in and it burns out his mind. I'm thinking that just is going to fry the brain itself. Well, uh, I could see it as being overloading the nervous system. It's uh, okay. so it, the mind is part of the you know the neurological process. Sure. You got your your nervous system and that's why at the end of this issue they were molecule for molecule transferring his mind and his nervous system into jackal it was just too much energy going through you know it's like too much amperage going through too light a wire and so it worked for a while until you know his breaker went off which was his brain so i'm okay with that also it works for story anything you want to say about that nope i totally trust it i mean come on they use like healing crystals to transfer powers <laughs> really solid got, ones that were also phase crystals is, I, I've, know, got, I've got no problem with that at all i mean i trust crystal science to the ends of the earth i mean yep. we live in portland that's the kind of stuff that that's that sells out here oh right? yeah crystal science pff, you better believe it yeah i know i had a broken arm last week but you know i rubbed some geodes on it it's great yeah <laughs> now, now i have a broken arm that has geo marks on it no uh <laughs> Speaking of other questionable decisions, Katie decides to give herself up. She basically had checked out. Yeah. Uh, kind of throughout this entire series. It's like they got to Snark World and she was all like, I'm just let me die. I'm done with this. I'm a monster. I don't want to attack people. I don't want to do this anymore. So I could see her just going, you know, and she she gave herself up, but she did have the caveat of I will surrender myself to you, but let my family go. So she was kind of trying to do a hero's journey there on, you know, in what she did, but it was the weakest one ever because she was like, you know, let my family go and you can tab me. And they're like, what if we just have you instead? And what can you do about it since you're not going to resist? Now we got you and your family. 
she didn't need to give herself up. Uh, I don't know. I think she really. I think the best thing about it was that she really wanted to get rid of her powers. Yeah, at that point, yeah, she yeah. she did. She was done. She was done with being an energizer. She's like, I'm tired of hurting people. I'm tired of being a gun. I'm tired of be tired of being treated this way. I'm okay with uh, hanging up my mantle. This is. I'm gonna leave my superpowers in the transfer machine and walk away with my back to the camera into the rain. <laughs> nice Spider-Man reference. Yep. Yeah. And I think the tagline on that cover would be, "I'm five. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say Energizer no more but no. I like that better No, that's better, like that's better. much I'm better Because I think that was a summary of the entire decision It's like, I'm five This is a lot, people I'm literally fighting giant space lizards I can shoot lasers out of my face Like, can you Like, no, please take this Take this I just want to go watch Gookams for Christ's sakes yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even that's been ruined by two yeah. of the three three Stooges. Come Wait a on. Minute. The Stooges kidding? No. no. You know, but he, my okay. childhood. Okay, before I could shoot lasers out of my face, do you know how many, how many times I've been kidnapped? The answer will surprise you. It was zero. <laughs> Since laser facing, a lot. I can't even count that high. You know how many gods have asked me to kill people for them? Not even just my family, but strangers who have said, Behold, daughter of Midgard, shoot that dude for me. Listen, Thor, just go get a beer. <laughs> no, for verily, there is a five-year-old, and I wish for her to have the psychological ramification of blasting that dude in the body for me because I'm tired of hitting him with a hammer. Thor and parenting, no. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of cool action in the panels, too, because like that was another thing that was, like really not even feeling nostalgic for i was reading it and enjoying it again it's like just a lot of the cool stuff like kofi like teleporting into like those crystal bubbles like yeah katie blasting the cavern like they pulled off some like awesome stuff and like drawing it and like the art was just as exciting as watching a movie yeah that is that's something we just haven't really talked about what i think we should is john boggs art i i think it is amazing I, I've always liked his stuff. I like how he does the kids. I like how he does action. He does a great job. And this is a lot of pages to art. And he arts the heck out of the art. Yes, I just verbatized art. Yeah, it works. Okay. <laughs> I know we're going to get to talking about some of the great pictures in here, but anything else you want to say on that? Well, I, I said this uh, last episode where uh, I like the art a lot. I think he does a really good job and a lot of stuff goes on. Uh, I still think it's, it's a looser kind of faster art style it's not quite as detail oriented he'll kind of do uh broader brush strokes with the stuff that's going on you can totally tell what's going on and it looks really good but it's a little bit more kind of like a little bit loose and go kind of like yeah it, yeah go kind of thing yeah well this was him when he was a lot tighter like he gets he gets much looser later on oh okay <laughs> it's not as like uh Brand Anderson's where you know yeah, he, every every panel is kind of a piece of art with Brand Anderson. Yeah, it, it is all very much like what is it Sistine Chapel in the background? I'm drawing it out yeah. every little bit. Yeah, but no, I, I still like and I, I I like the comment that Kwanzaa made on the action. I think it's it's really good. I think it's really well done, especially back when you know Jackal starts losing his power and everything just goes real crazy and that's where it gets yeah, really loose yeah. but that works well for the action in those scenes because it is it's a tempest in a storm right there all around Jackal anything else you guys want to talk about as far as themes or any anything else in the issue that really caught your eye no i think i think we i think we covered all that 
Let me go ahead and really quickly talk a little bit about a library card in this issue. Now, I couldn't find any specific literature in this book that was a direct reference, but there's something kind of interesting. I kind of put a relationship between something in the book and a favorite movie of mine that was also from a book, and that was between the relationship between Murad and Jackal and Murad's machinations for putting her son into power. And this made me think of The Manchurian Candidate. The Manchurian Candidate was written in 1960 by Richard Condon, and it's a political thriller that deals with the brainwashing of an infantry platoon by communists and the weaponizing of one of the soldiers who was a son of a prominent political family, using a specific psychological trigger of a game of solitaire and the turning of a queen of diamonds. Robert Shaw can be activated from a sleeper agent into a mindless drone who can kill upon command. From that description, of course, you might, if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, you might be saying, okay, what's the connection? Well, the big connection kind of is between the character Robert Shaw and his mother. His mother is uh, this strong-willed political figure who's trying to use her son and these communist connections to kill her political rivals so that her new husband can, who's a senator, can become president and she can kind of take power through him. I'm really familiar with the 1962 film version, which stars Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, Janet Leigh, and the amazing Angela Lansbury. In fact, when I first saw this movie in the late 80s or I think early 90s, it really completely destroyed the Jessica Fletcher uh, in my head from Murder, She Wrote, because that's all I knew <laughs> Angela Lansbury as. And then after seeing this movie of this conniving and vindictive mother who uses her son for power, it just blew my mind. Uh, the film was remade in 2004 with Denzel Washington, Lee Schreiber, Meryl Streep, and John Voight. And like I said, just the big comparison between how Murad weaponizes and uses her son to achieve her own political goals is not unlike how Raymond Shaw's own mother has allowed her son to be compromised. In the book, Eleanor Shaw is the handler for her son's programming, using him as a weapon to achieve her goals. I just gotta say that if you haven't seen the movie before, the 1960 movie, it is really good and it's a real amazing political thriller. Doesn't have any science in it, but that's what I, you know, usually rely on Jeff for is to, you know, handle any science in the science corner down here. What do you got for me, Jeff? Oh, I got uh, something fun. I'll do a short one for us because it's a long episode. But uh, just talking about Manchurian Candidate, uh, I actually only saw that I think within the last five years. The original? Yeah, the original. I hadn't seen the uh, the remake of it, but yeah, seeing the original first time within the last five years, really good. Really uh, good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Have you ever seen it before, Kwanzaa? Yeah, I actually didn't see the original until after the remake. That's what made me go to watch it. It was just kind of like, oh, this movie's really cool. It's like, oh, it's a remake? Oh, I need to go watch the original. <laughs> what'd you, what'd you, what was your opinion between the original and the remake? Um, Time. <laughs> it's like any film where it's like remade it's just kind of like oh okay i see why you updated like this portion or like you changed this part but i mean overall i still think like it's a accurate comparison like with Murad mm -hmm. and jacal it's just like there, there's some macbeth in there too where it's just sort of like you have the ambitions of another person like driving this character who's just sort of like they're almost already a weapon you know just by their being and they're just being like honed and crafted and beat into like you know this this mold for another person to gain something and it's one of those things where it's like it's it's interesting because you always have those characters where where it's like well Murad why didn't you listen to that machine and get all the kids powers that's what you really wanted Cersei Lannister <laughs> dangerous that's why <laughs> yeah right I know right? it's dangerous and yeah but another good comparison there with you know a mother using her child to get her own power Cersei from Game of Thrones good point okay we ready for some science hit us 
In this issue, Jackal was cramming himself full of the power's powers and burning out as a result of it. This got me thinking of an analogy for this, and what I came up with was overcharging a car battery. A battery can quite simply die from being overcharged. This is the safest side effect, but not the only thing that can happen. An overcharged battery will boil the sulfuric acid and distilled water mix, causing hydrogen and oxygen gases to form. The casing of the battery can become hot to the touch and begin to melt or swell. Flammable hydrogen can build up inside the sealed cells of the battery, causing swelling of the casing under pressure and seepage through small vents. Once the hydrogen is introduced to oxygen, it becomes a sitting time bomb. A small electrical spark can ignite the gas and cause the battery to explode, sending plastic and lead shrapnel flying around, in addition to a caustic sulfuric acid spray. So, as a safety note, if you have a car battery, don't overcharge it. If you have superpowers, don't give them to a snark. And, if you have Oreos, you might want to keep them away from me because I will eat as many of them as I possibly can. And that's this week's Science Corner. <laughs> the best part about this show is the fact that Jeff doesn't know what beer I'm going to bring, and I never read what he writes in Science Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't read my uh, two-sentence replay. I don't read either, the two-sentence so. two replay either. I, I just I don't read those two things. I wait for it to wash over me like a nice, cool surprise. Yep. All right, gentlemen, enough of this foolishness. Mm -hmm. We have to get serious. Yes. And by serious, I mean we need to talk about what we're going to put on our refrigerator gallery. That's pretty serious stuff. It's extremely serious. Real what piece of art in this book needs to be on the family refrigerator? Mm -hmm. You know that family refrigerator way back on Earth? Yes. Let's start with our guest. What are some of your funny pictures? When the kids lace up Jackal's legs while they're chained up. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, I kind of like, I want it on a t-shirt now. That was on top of page 15. And that was a nice pink background with Alex. He's kind of on his knees and he's kind of rocking back and forth. Julia looks like she's kind of in a duck crawl position, kind of bent over and she's trying to, you know, move forward. Jack has got his face on the ground as he's trying to, you know, scooch and wiggle forward. Yeah. Power pack attack, and they aren't really going far. Well, they're doing great because they're all hogtied. Yeah. Right. And the fact that they're able to do anything is amazing because for me, I'm like, I don't bend that way. So. And, and, you know, if one person's hogtied, well, they could probably roll themselves over, but they are all hogtied together. Yeah. But yeah, it is a it is a hilarious picture. I do like that one. And and now that I and now that we pointed that one out, I think that's actually the reason why Jackal gave up his body at the end. He's like, yeah, I, I don't really want to live with the shame. <laughs> of three prepubescent children lacing up my legs even though i had all their superpowers bad shot it's yours i don't you get to live with this story now it's terrible and you just remember when you got tripped up by those kids jeff what is one of your funny ones sir okay i've got a backup joke and that is on page 10 and I call it She-Hulk. Hold on to that box. And it is on the uh, top left-hand panel. It's when they're in the uh, Avengers Mansion and the Fantastic Four start looking for their kid. And it, you know, it shows Sue's coming out of Franklin's room and Johnny and Reed are there you know, in their costumes. And yeah, She-Hulk's there just holding a big box because that's, I guess, what her job is. And then you know, the next panel over, it's everybody's using their powers and they're hunting for Franklin. And She-Hulk is still just standing there holding that box. That box is not going to hold it. Self. That's right. <laughs> Reed Richards, that's like a freaking Tesseract or something. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> she can't put it down or else it'll explode the entire house. <laughs> Don't drop it. Yeah, I just love her two panels in the entire comic is her standing stock still holding a box. Do you have a backup joke? I have just a regular joke because I realized my backup joke was the chain dance on page 15. Oh, okay. Uh, but my 
other joke that I had down here was on page 7. Tied Up Kids, the new hot snark toy. Get it for the holidays. Is this on the bottom of the page? This is on the bottom of the page. This is my uh, my first place joke one, and I call it Swagger. In the art, it is just, yeah, it is Jackal walking through the ranks of the uh, of all oh, the yeah. other snark warriors, and the kids are all floating behind him, and just looking at these two panels of him, I have, you can just see the swagger just rolling off of him. You can hear like, I got the power! Playing. <laughs> <laughs> So much literally, so. Oh. literally. Like he's finger gunning people as he goes by. He's like, oh, I beat children. Yeah, I, do, I, I, I also love in this. It's just the in the background. You have all the snarks and they're talking. They're like, oh, look at him. He's bigger and stronger than before. New and improved. Oh, he caught he caught those aliens. Oh, they're so disgusting looking. And one person's like, they kind of look like hatchlings. What was tough about that? Hey, stop poking me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But then I also just like the kids floating back through like balloons. I mean, just the way they're dressed up, yeah. it's painful. It is painful, but it is, yeah, it is it, for me. It is just funny. So I think we both thought it was funny, just the the, the way the scene's playing out. Yeah. Do you have any other funny ones, anybody? Nope, that's my two. Yeah, I think my other one is just uh, when Maraud like you know tells Jackal that joke. Like, what did the five fingers say to the face? <laughs> <laughs> And he falls for it every time. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what, mother? And she goes, smack. Let's try to do some of our backup ones here, then. Let's go backwards order. Jeff, what is a backup one you've got? My backup is on page 36. Page 36. And it is the middle panel, and I call it Gravity Hammer. And that is, uh, it's just cool. It is when uh, Jack realizes he can jackhammer with the G powers and uh, he stomps on the snout of uh, a fully charged up jackal who's getting ready to shoot a powerball at Katie. And, you know, he he knocks a powerball into the floor and it just looks cool. Katie's up in the air because of the blast. And I just thought that looks really neat. Yeah, that is the pure power that he's bringing down. I see the spittle coming out of his mouth. His you know mouth's open wide. Yeah, there's a lot of action going on in that one. Mm-hmm. That's a nice one. I have got one on page 23, and I call this Jackal's Hand. Ah, uh, yeah. Top corner panel on page 23. It's this wind tunnel of cloud that spirals down into a little bit of green and then this brown of this you know brown fried hand as it clutches around Katie's throat and she's her eyes are looking up her tongue sticking out she looks like she's actually looks like she's dead there and it's just jackal grabbing katie around the throat and it's a vicious vicious panel yep yep it is what do you got kwanzaa one of the ones that i really liked was and you guys are going to see that there's a theme here which is jackal gets clowned it's when julie hits him with that (laughs) yes man it's so dynamic but like when you think about like a powerful like Uh, action panel like usually it's something very like superheroic like a swat or like you know a a blast but her just clocking him (laughs) it's so good yeah it's the top left panel on page 34 it is just great to see them you know it's like hey we're powerless and we're children but man we can put some smack down there's an action kind of pose that that is where it's just there's so much power that she's bringing down that her entire body lifts off the ground it's fantastic yeah and you can really see it like landing at jackal too because his arms like careen up into the air like that wasn't a soft hit no No. the head comes right down the body yeah and the fact the next panel which looks great as well is jackal saying you hurt me hatchling so (laughs) 
You got a top one there? Yes, I do. It is on page 21 in the bottom right-hand corner, and I call it album cover. <laughs> and this is when uh, Katie and the cave dwellers in Yurik have, like, busted through a wall, and, uh, you know, she's all, drop him, Jackal, let my brothers and sister go. And it just looks awesome, because she's just, you know, in, you know, there's mist, the cave dwellers in Yurik are in shadow and back, and she's just, you know, got glowing body, but, like, star eyes, and she's, you know, it just looks awesome. It just looks like the a, a cover of, a like, a metal. She's album. all fuzzy with her uh, her energy, and the she's, pigtails yeah. are seeing straight out. Yeah, she's charged up. It yeah. is. It is. I'm just like, I love that. That is just an amazing little bit of art. She's also adorable. Yeah, <laughs> although it is adorable, yeah, super adorbs. I knew that that one was going to be one of yours because it's that you know great two tone color kind yeah. of thing where Katie's one color and then the background is another color. Yeah, it's got the interesting lighting. But that was the thing; uh, it was hard to choose which ones I liked the most because, you know, heck, even just the panel to the left of that is you know a, a powered up jackal holding you know getting ready to kill the kids in their chains, and it's just there's a lot of great stuff going on yeah. with this. A lot of good stuff, like all the way back on page two, kind of a little bit like that that panel you just were describing. Mm. The second one, this is the one where jackal comes right out of the crystal and he's all powered up and you see all three powers there he's got the checkered board body of the of the g power he's got the rainbow coming out of like the spiral twirl below him and then he's got the cloud misting up behind him it's like all the powers are right there yeah and he just looks bad oh he looks beastie he yeah. looks really good that's like a, it yeah how about you? Do you have any other ones uh, to add to this, Kwanzaa? Well, there there was an, another one, and I, and I was having a similar thought. It's also like right when he comes out of the crystals and he has all three other powers, but it's the one where he's kind of lifting them up. I'd like to assume by the scruff of their neck, <laughs> but it's such a savage panel. Like It's like, oh my yeah. God, he's going to kill these kids. Yeah, that's on page three. And yeah, he's basically palming all of their heads. He's forming them, forming them into one being, which he's going to slam down. Yeah, all yeah. you really see is there is the kid's legs kicking out. Legs and arms. It's just, as, yeah. And you can see the path of the rainbow of where he's flown from the ground, from the from the dirt pile down below, as he's flown up to the top of the ceiling, is about ready just to power slam them all down. Yep. That is the next logical panel over from the one I just mentioned. Yep. Those are two good pairs of panels right there. And that brings us, gentlemen, to our rubber and glue moment. <laughs> what was the best or most childish insult in here? I think I'm going to go ahead and start with mine. So on page 33, I've got this one by Jack. And if you would do the honor, sir. Hey, ugly, your shoelaces are untied. So <laughs> ugly is kind of a, you know, it's a pedestrian insult. But you, you, you match that with shoelaces, which I don't know. Let me look at the pictures here. Um... <laughs> I am pretty sure that no snark actually wears shoelaces, so if it actually worked, bonus points to Jack. Well, they're at work, so they're not wearing their Crocs. <laughs> man, I need something to hit you with, Which man. Also that was, have laces. That was bad. <laughs> you also have to take into account like how dumb Jackal actually is. That could have worked. Yeah. It could have worked. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to deny that at all. <laughs> but just for that bad joke, you're not going next. Aww. Kwanzaa, what is your best insult? <laughs> Mine wasn't even really an insult so much as like, it's that point where they're first starting to crawl and right after Alex comes up with the battle cry, it's just Jack just taken. <laughs> he's just like, really, man? Like, he's like, it's, it's like literally is the worst time to come up with a battle cry. He's like, what are you doing? It's, it's almost like he's like, it's a good battle cry, but not now. <laughs> time and place alex oh the fact julie's next to him also going well, attack what we're wriggling worms come on uh oof, oof what a stupid time to come up with a battle cry 
And Alex is all, shut up, Jack. <laughs> How about yours? What, what you got for a good insult? Okay, my uh, backup is on page 21, and it is uh, Jack taunting, surprise, Jackal again, because uh, Murad has just told him, it's like, hey, go ahead and kill these kids, and Jackal's like, you betcha. And Jack's all, yeah, yeah, mommy's boy can't even kill somebody till mommy tells you to, baby, baby. <laughs> I just love Jack, the fact that he's all like, yeah, this big monster's gonna kill me. <laughs> Not on my watch. I got slings that I can sling at him. I'm gonna, I got words that'll make him hurt. I might die, but he's gonna be like, you know, that kid was really mean. <laughs> So. I like that one. That was actually my my top one, I think. Oh, really? But that's okay, because I think I, I just kind of threw a whole mess down here. There's a lot of insults in this one. There is. There's this one with where Alex says, There's more than one way to drop a brick on your head, lizard nose. Yeah. So, yeah, lizard nose. But it's not as good as the other ones. But, yeah. no, Jack's taunting is the best one that was there. <laughs> it is just, it, it's, it's just so Jack, and it is so at a bad time. <laughs> and I just love that, but yeah. No, there's tons of great insults in this. Do you have another insult? You know, not one that I can think of off the top of my head now, but those are some really good ones. <laughs> I think Jeff got the best one. Yeah. And that's my backup. What's your best one? My best one. And now, keep in mind, it isn't just it isn't Jack quality of, like, awesome words or anything, but it is uh, Maraud on page three when uh, Jackal's popped out of his pod and he's going to just kill the kids. And uh, she's all, you know, she's all like, you know, Power you might have, my son, but you're as stupid and heedless as ever. I just love the fact that Marat, it doesn't matter what's going on, she is just there with just a burning quip, just of like, you're dumb. And she just constantly (laughs) does this to her kid, where it's just like, yeah, you're strong, but not in the head. Yeah, and just Marat perpetually just throwing shade, just, I love it. That's a mother of the year word right there. Well, here's the problem. There's only one of her, so she's going to have to work four times as hard as the Fantastic Four for that (laughs) bad parenting award. But, I mean, she puts the time in. She does. She does does. not phone that in. She is dedicated to get that award. No, I mean, you know, it takes time and effort and money to find a whole bunch of power to pump into your child and then call him stupid. I mean, these kinds of things just don't happen themselves. No, no, no. no. She, She puts the work in. She's not afraid of the work. No, no, she's not. <laughs> um, but while she may be the best at being the worst, mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, like that? Like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's find out who is the worst at being the best. <laughs> and and that's where it died. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it died. You, you yeah. went into it pretty strong, and then... I didn't have a real landing on it. Nah, but, you did not stick to oh, the landing. No, I didn't really so stick to landing. All the judges are like, five. Yeah, five. Five. Stars in detention. Identify the child who was the best and the worst in the issue. So, um, who wants to start off? Who wants to tell, say who their worst one is? Kwanzaa, you're the guest. Do you have a uh, worst child? I think that that award goes to Alex. Like, he sucked throughout this okay. issue. Like, he really did, you know? And, and, and he continues to suck after this issue, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a legacy sucker. Yeah, I mean, and they, they set it up. They, like, I often call this the, the Alex sucks arc. <laughs> <laughs> just like, he's just terrible the entire time which i mean look heavy burden on your shoulder 11 year old boy like fighting wars with your like even younger siblings but he's just he's just a jerk the entire time you, you are not going to get any argument at all from me i mean he is my choice for the worst he was fighting with the others he was fighting with yurik he was demanding help from the burrowers i mean he's sitting there shaking the burrs the burrs have the cave dwellers they have saved their lives and he's just like hey you stupid little alien jerks tell me the way yeah he's the worst 
the absolute worst. I can agree with that. I actually was going to go Katie. And uh, it was simply, yeah, Alex was pretty bad, but he also had some good stuff where he was like, Kofi, say, don't save us, save the Emperor. Hmm. Uh, okay, hey, we got a battle plan and a battle cry. Let's chain up Jackal and that can try and save the Emperor's life. Uh, he kind of had the redemption thing where he was like, oh man, do, I really do kind of treat Katie like a weapon. And, you know, and he slides in and busts his back and knees, you know, does the power slide in and saves her from falling. There, I, I saw that there was, there was enough kind of reclamation of his bad. Why was Katie so bad, though? She causes the cave in. She blinds the cave dweller. She comes in. She gives up. Uh, there was just all, you know, it was just the kind of like, I, you know, she was done. She just kind of quit. So again, Alex, pretty terrible. But I also saw Katie just kind of not having as many, maybe not as many bad things, but nowhere near the amount of redemption things that, that Alex. Alden, I am going to respectfully disagree because Katie's my best one in this story because she's five. Ah. <laughs> She had a lot on her plate, guys. Come on. And I think she kind of like did pretty well. I mean, she made a moral decision about her powers. She's five. (laughs) And and I don't argue that. She is amazing. Katie Katie is great. I love her. Yeah. See, and I was just going to say, you know, Jeff, I really respect your opinion, but you're completely wrong. (laughs) I think your response was much, much better and much more on point. That was eloquent. (laughs) That was very eloquent. You're poopy. (laughs) I I could actually feel you reaching through the microphone and slapping him. (laughs) Congratulations, (laughs) sir. I like I like your choices as Katie for being the hero. I mean, uh, for giving herself up at, you know, sacrificing herself, making the moral choice to do that. I think that's a great reason. I'm actually going to go different on the best one. I'm going to say Kofi. Yep, I'm with you. Um, and my reason for Kofi is that he uh, he saved Bacha. He made that decision. Yes, it was Alex's idea, but he made the moral decision. Mm-hmm. Or that's a better choice. We can actually try to stop the snark wars. And he was kind of going against Franklin. He was going against everybody else, saying, "Don't do that." He just kind of have a, has this ongoing good story arc here yeah. that he's actually doing some good stuff in the midst of all this. I almost gave it to Franklin, except Franklin was kind of like, "No, no, no, save our friends. Don't worry about the emperor." But I think that. Kofi made the right choice on there, and yeah. I think that there's a lot of things that would have happened worse if Kofi didn't save the Emperor. No, I fully, fully agree on that. Yeah, uh, Franklin Cuz was kind of on my shortlist for uh, the best, but it, it, it was then kind of was like, yeah, he's a lot of the times he's not really doing a lot of stuff. He was kind of a he was like the uh, operator at the end of the phone line, kind of like you know connecting your calls. Kofi, Kofi had it going on, but I would say that probably, especially with the way you described it, Kwanzaa, I would say that. Katie would be my second choice. Unlike Jeff, who's a hater. Yeah. (laughs) Katie power more like, no. (laughs) Wow. That was deep, sir. More like, more like Haiti power. power. Snap. (laughs) Again, it's the power kids. I love all of them. They're all pretty great. Uh, It's just, you know, uh, everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. In this case, you know, our opinions are right and yours is wrong. So that's so weird that that's how it always falls down. Mm, It is that way. But you know, I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself. Talk to us about G-Force. G-Force. G-Force is when we count the number of times that Alex Power says G in the issue and relate that to a scientific equivalent. He does drop a G-bomb in this episode. So uh, we have a G-Force of one, which you can find on... Hey, it looks like Snark World has a, a 
G, you know, gravity of one. So that's great. Uh, our G average remains at 1.16, and that is approaching the surface gravity of Neptune. And our G total rises one to 29. And at 28, you have the surface gravity of the sun. And so this is close to that, but a little bit more. So there you go. And that G force. You're just happy we got another G count, don't we? I was surprised by it. Honestly, I, like I said, I missed it uh, the first couple of times I read through the comic. And when I saw it, I was like, hey, where'd this come from? <laughs> so now we have the top grades. We need to do a consensus on where we think this issue ranks in our ever-growing list of all of the Power Pack stories. Starting with Power Pack number 19, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and ending with Thor number 363, This Cursed Earth. Where do we think that this should go? And by the way, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, I am scrolling up to the top of this list. How high up to the top? You know, I really like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That's the fantastic Thanksgiving episode. But this is a dense, dense story with a lot of stuff going on. A lot of different stories coming together. I'm saying that it's somewhere in the top two or three. I would even say maybe top one. What are your feelings on this, Kwanzaa? I had to say, like, once I saw the list, because I love Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's a quintessential power pack, you know? Oh, yes. But at the same time, if I look at it holistically throughout the whole series, like, this issue is like a culmination of, like, so much of the story. And it's like bringing us to this great apex and in changing something fundamental about what power pack is, I think I think it could I think it's a good contender for number one. Okay, I'll be devil's advocate. I didn't like this at all. It was terrible, and Power Pack is a dumb comic. <laughs> he said in opposite day. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I could I could easily put this yeah, I could put this above Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Which again, uh Utterly amazing. I think Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is the Power Pack issue that people that don't know Power Pack know. Yeah. Because it gets referenced a lot. Because it's just, there's so many people involved with it. I, I would say this on issue 19's behalf. That issue I would give to anybody who wants to, like, give me a good Power Pack comic to read. Yeah. Bam, here you go. I would not give this issue to anybody to read unless I could give them the snark war they would have to have all the yeah it would be like here read this one but first let me tell you about this and this and this and this and this and this and then there's this i would i would actually say that i could probably give them trapped issue 22 and then just give them that run from 22 probably through to 26 the next issue which is the denouement of it oh yeah totally um but give them that run say here is the snark war and i mean the best issue of this run is going to be issue 25 yeah this one can't exist in a vacuum i don't think we should necessarily take away from that it's just that there's two different things we'd be looking at and that's a valid point too because that's just like you can't really take somebody who hasn't seen many marvel movies to avengers endgame and say like enjoy like my wife saw and the first thing she said she hadn't watched the other movie she's like so what's with the raccoon was that is that like a gimmick (laughs) (laughs) like like, like, what is it why is he here and i'm just like okay let's just eat popcorn (laughs) (laughs) why does that man have two colored eyes so yeah i um i'm gonna say that this is gonna be the new number one all right i think we could all agree to that i think we can all agree to that uh one little bit last thing here and that is we need to talk about our beers Mm -hmm. what do we think of these beers and how does it fit with the comic we've been drinking fantastic voyage by gigantic by gigantic it's it's good it's uh it kind of has a fruity uh fruity aroma to it Mm -hmm. but and when you taste it it has it's 
heavy it's it's very yeasty mm-hmm. and it's got a little tartness to it a little tartness little a uh, lot of yeast and uh i don't know it, it's very refreshing it is it's a it's really good on especially today we've got a little bit of a warmer day yeah and i think it's really good for this kind of a day no it's a good one for that yeah it's not heavy it's uh got a good flavor to it um i like this i'm gonna give this a four power balls yeah uh, i'm gonna give it four power balls as well it's 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 tasty it's tasty it's good Remind us again what you've got. You've got... Uh... So, yeah, I have the Blue Point Hoptical Illusion. And I, I don't know about this one. I, I feel like it, for me, like, it doesn't taste immediately hoppy. And it was a little bit more... If it wasn't for the uh, alcohol level in it, which is like 7%. <laughs> nice. Uh, I would consider this, like, in the range of, like, you know, a light beer or something like that. Oh. But it would kind of sneak up on you because it's like, oh, yeah, I can drink these like Miller High Lifes. No, you probably shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) You you can. You're just going to be getting to a different place than with the Millers. Right. And three Um, three beers in, he was on the ground. (laughs) But that's what kind of makes it nice because it's not heavy and it's got, you know, if you're you're coming home, you're like, man, I really need a beer. But when I say I really need a beer, I do not mean a Miller High Life. This one would be the the one to go to. So out of uh, five Powerballs, what would you give this? Uh, I would give it four. I would give it four Powerballs. Four Powerballs. Excellent. Hey. All right, we've all we've all had some stuff that we're liking. Good. And that brings us to kids' perspective, and that's where Rick asked questions of his eight-year-old daughter about the book that we just read. So, Rick, talk to your daughter for a little bit, see how she's doing, and ask her about this issue of Power Pack. Go. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for being here to talk about Power Pack 25. Are you ready to talk about this? Yep. You need to be patient, folks, because it's really long. Really long. Did you like it, though? Yeah. yeah. Actually, it was kind of fast for me. Why was it fast? I really liked it. Things that you like go faster. Okay. What did you like about the book? I did like this one part that was really cool. What's that? So, Jack was running away from Jacko, who now had all the Power Siblings' powers. Uh Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, he started floating like Alex. Uh Uh-huh. And then, so then he noticed that he had Alex's power. Yep. And then Julie had Jack's power. Yep. And then Katie got Julie's power. Yeah. And then Alex got Katie's power. You weren't expecting that, were you? No. Is it kind of cool? Yeah. Why is it cool? Because now they have new choices until they can figure out how to get it back together. But I still like it this way. Why? Because it's really fun to look at how Julie clouds up, how Jack's like floating in the air, how like Alex is like pow, pow, pow. So you just are getting excited to see how they use their powers, right? Yeah. And how Katie's like, wee. <laughs> It's really exciting that the kids have yeah. new powers, and that's a yeah. big thing. But what did you think of the rest of the issue? Was it, I mean, it was a lot of suspense, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I forgot to talk about the jackal part with the powers. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about that. Tell me about Jackal having all the powers. Did you notice that his muscles had grown? <laughs> now they're, like, right here. Now where your muscles are, it's, like, like five more inches. Um, but also, I mean, he had all these powers and can do all these things now with it, right? Yeah. And in this one picture, you can see that tail is, has like checkerboard, his wrists have, have checkerboard, and then he has these little shoulder pads. But what is he doing with the power? Destroying other snarks or destroying the kids. He wants to destroy the kids, right? Yeah. And who does he try to kill? The emperor. And who saves the emperor? Franklin and Kofi. 
And they try to stop the snark wars, don't they? Yeah. How does that work? Um, sort of good. <laughs> oh, and this one picture, I got really, really... This, got, this picture got me thinking. What picture? This one picture back here where... Okay, so... It's Jackal marching past snarks, like, standing like soldiers. And there's... Alex, Julie, and Jack are all, like, um, connected to this chain. And their backs are arching, and they're... It looks like they're, like, holding their feet. And they're in this really uncomfortable po- uncom- uncomfortable pose. That chain is basically connected to Jackal because he's holding it. And he's, like, marching past the snarks that look like sn- soldiers. And he's, like... And he looks very proud, and every and um the power siblings are just dangling behind, and because he's he's probably moving fast, that they're like floating in the air. I think it's that oh, gravity yeah, so, power. Oh yeah, it's just gravity. Yeah. It does look very uncomfortable how the kids get tied up. It looks really bad for the kids for a while. And what changes everything? Oh, because he got Katie's power. That was too much, wasn't it? Yeah. What does that tell you? That sometimes you can't what? That sometimes you can't keep enough power. That's right. Not always good to have all that power. Then something like weird happens. So like he must have been using his gravity power, and then suddenly it kind of got on Jack, caught on Jack a little bit. I, I think what it was. I think what it was is that when Whitey gave them the powers, he gave them a power that they needed at the time. And when somebody else had the powers, they pulled the powers back because they needed it at that time to save themselves. Oh. So then Jack, like, just pulled it from Jack and was like, this man. Yep. There's one more important thing that happened that we should talk about. The end? No, well, yeah, partly in the end there, but something else happened to somebody in this book, right? Oh, Friday. Yeah. What's What happened to Friday? She, like, blew up. And what was she trying to do? She was trying to save who? The Emperor, um... Um, Franklin and Kofi. So we're going to have to find out what happened to Friday, right? Yeah, and we're going to have to find out if they get used to their powers. <laughs> or if they just give them back, like, randomly, like, here you go, bye. Well, it's definitely going to be something <laughs> new, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, that's all the time we have. Thank you very much, Carrie. Wait, hang on. Yeah. Wouldn't it be confusing if with Katie's, like, symbol on her and then seeing her fly around and then Julie's and Julie's lightspeed symbol and, like, flying around in jackhammer? You know what? You are very correct, and it takes a little while for them to solve that problem. But remember that, okay? Okay. That's all the time we have. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you. Love you, too. Bye. Hey, and we're back, and we got that uh, very insightful moment from Rick and Carrie. That was really great. I always enjoy hearing this. Now we're going to do our shout-out time, where we like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. And these are comments and likes for episode 29, Power Pack 22, from Facebook and Twitter. AJ. Alexander. Al Sedano. Arvin Bautista. Brian Cognazzo. Charles Miller. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Christian Conkle. Craig McNichol, and he thinks this is the greatest covers always lie. He also says that he wouldn't have called Alex a jerk, but he could have handled the situation much better. Damian Druitt Witter. 
David Pardue. Delvin the Dark Web Williams. Gary Poisson. He pointed out that the Jub-Jub bird is from Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky. This is exceptionally coincidental since the Starks are also from a Lewis Carroll poem, and I kicked myself that I didn't remember that. Gibson. And he says that this is one of the few issues that he managed to get at the newsagent, and he proudly has a second copy that is signed by Wheezy. Green Lantern HG. Jared the Yard Sale Artist. Albrecht. Jeff Bullier. Jeremy Daw. John Knoll. John Bogdanov, who commented that the page with Jarvis covered in flour was one of his favorite pages, and that the original page hangs in Walt and Wheezy's house. Ladies of Comics. Mal. Mark Grant. Max Traver. Mitch Jillian. And when you're in Portland, check out The Nerd Out, our premier comic book restaurant. Nicholas Comic Reflections Prom. Want to know what I show? Pat Cristado Sampson. Power Pack Nation. Professor Frenzy. Sailor Bear Zodar. The Art Classroom. This is the Ed Game. Thomas Favi. Tim Price. Todd Enoch. Warlock Thanos Podcast. Wayrad Steve. And we have a new Patreon supporter. Sailor Bear Zodar. Thank you, Zodar. Somewhere some brave backing zany zoological something beginning with Z. Yeah, and, and that's great because Zodar actually guessed the voice that I use for Jack is Rumble off of uh, the Transformers cartoon. So that's the, that's the Jack <laughs> voice you use on the uh, on the mini series. Yeah, on the mini series. Yeah, on the uh, yeah. 2000. I, I have a different Jack voice that I use for the Patreon content, which is Volume Three of Power Pack. Be sure to check out another show that I'm on, Rick Meets the Legion. Nicholas Prom guides me through decades of old DC comics while we drink. You can find this show on the Comics Reflection Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Right now, it's just shirts and stickers around our logo, but we will be trying to come up with some other fun stuff for our fans. So, if you're interested, go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. We want to say thank you very, very, very much to our guest, Kwanzaa. Yeah, thank you, man. This has been uh, utterly amazing. You've been super fun. I was so, so I can't tell you guys how pleased I was to discover your podcast. Because <laughs> I was like, what? There's a Power Pack podcast. I was very glad to uh, to discover you and to talk with you and to find your work. And I'd like to give you a moment right now to talk to people and tell them a little bit about your work. I know we mentioned it early on in the episode as I'm holding a copy of your uh, issue of Black here. Can you tell us just a little bit about a little bit more about Black and about the other two books that went with it and where we can find your work? Sure. You know, again, the overall premise of the entire uni- world or universe, they call them universes, right? Um, is what if only black people had superpower? And the first book, Black, is about the main character, uh, Kareem Jenkins, who uh, unfortunately has a run in with uh, some police where they think he's someone else and he gets shot and killed. But it's a superhero story, so he comes back to life, finds out he has superpowers, <laughs> and he's part of like this small percentage of black people that have had superpowers for centuries. But you know, it's been kept secret because obviously that would be pretty disruptive to our society if that was public knowledge. And that's kind of his struggle throughout the story is that he's trying, while being like you know pursued by all of these clandestine like factions, he's trying to make the decision of like you know should I keep this a secret, you know, knowing that it the world's going to continue on the way it is, or should I expose the secret knowing that I might just make things kind of worse. <laughs> so it's not like it's a win-win situation for him. And that's basically the catalyst for the whole universe. Um, we did our first spinoff book, uh, America's Sweetheart. And that one was about this young woman, Ellie Franklin, who she grows up in this adopted family. She's the most powerful person on the planet. But before the events that happen in black, she thinks that she's the only person in the world who has superpowers because she's basically being raised by 
you know, a Christian conservative family in like rural Montana, <laughs> you know, very Americana apple pie. So that's kind of like her worldview. And when like she finds out other people have superpowers, you know, and they kind of start freak, the world starts freaking out. She decides, well, I'll become a superhero so that people know that like, we're not scary. We're here to help. And like, we can do great things. And it's sort of like a, you know, coming of age story for her because she sort of realizes that even when you have like good intentions, the world's not always ready to receive that, you know, without questioning it. So a lot of like, you know, her conflict in the story is like, even though she's, saving cats from trees and stopping runaway trains. People still kind of, you know, ask like ridiculous questions like, well, why did you save that train in that neighborhood versus this neighborhood? You know, things that like they wouldn't ask Superman. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of her like being this really altruistic person in a world that's not ready for someone like that. And then you just finished a Kickstarter, correct? Yeah. So that was for the second book in the trilogy. So black is part of a trilogy and the next book is white. It takes place three years later. And um, one of the antagonists from the uh, first book has now been elected president of the United States. And he's got was that man. Yeah. And he's taking some hardline policies in terms of like, you know, dealing with the fact that, you know, only black people have superpowers. And it's really about like, you know, how society kind of uh, sort of runs to certain figures when they're scared, you know, like change or like a disruption because it's not new. Like that's like, that's just like history. A lot of people have thought that yeah. like I came up with the idea because of like current events. I'm like, no, did you ever heard of like Caesar? <laughs> like, like, this, <laughs> is, this isn't like, this isn't like a new thing. Like this is classic history. So it's something that I, you know, it had, I thought up way before, you know, 2016 and it just so happens to kind of reflect reality a little bit. But uh, I think it, it's a, it, it'll be a really interesting uh, place for people to jump onto the series. Cause we're still kind of exploring like a lot of the context of the world. The first book was very much about like, you know, the central character, but now it's the central character in a much bigger world. That's now trying to deal with the whole idea of only black people having superpowers. I really did enjoy this book. I, I, I started following you because of your interest in power pack, but I really wanted to check out the work that you did as well. So I picked up the book and was very, very pleased with it. And I know I've, sent a couple emails back to you back and forth asking you some questions about it. It's a powerful book. It's a powerful premise. And I have read the second one with America's sweetheart and I'm can't, I missed the uh, Kickstarter campaign. So I can't wait to get an opportunity to get um, white as well. These are fantastic books. Where can people find your work on the internet? And I know that I, you know, go to your local comic shop and make sure that they've got these books available and buy them there and support your local comic book shops. But if somebody can't do that, they can't find it at their shop, where can they find it? Um, you can find them. Our website is blacksuperpowersingular.com. And I'm also working on a bunch of books uh, with Humanoids, which is a French publisher that's launching. They hired me to launch a whole new universe here for them in the States. Um, I'm writing their flagship book with Mark Wade. So it's called Ignited. I think it comes out in August. It's uh, another universe springing out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, it's also, it's also really cool. So yeah, you can check it out there. You can, you know, follow me on like social media. It's uh, Instagram or like Twitter. It's Kwanzer, like K-W-A-N-Z-E-R. Okay. One last time. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate you having you on the show. Yeah, it's been and, a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Definitely Absolutely. want to meet up with you and talk to you more again. But for now, 
Jeff and Rick Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of a dog somewhere in New York and some cat that's somewhere in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page. Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our lives. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, Stella. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. I've always wanted to say that out loud. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Bass Walker. All music is by Ken McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Do you, do you want to sing us in? <clears throat> oh, our intro music. We have a guest on our show. Isn't it nice? Don't you know? It's a guest music intro. That's going to go right in the outtakes. Probably. Okay. Broom. Yeah. How the hell did I just laugh so hard to give myself a Charlie horse in the leg? <laughs> All right. All right, I'm done with the, I'm done with my shenanigans. I'd like to believe that. Bloom. How are those threats working on there's the words. Bloom. And Jarvis has some strange blonde woman entering Franklin's womb. Kyle. Wow. Franklin's womb? Womb, yes, his Which womb. Just kind of, I think it was the reverse. This is, this is, this is, I'm reaching for my wallet. Where I, do you I, keep it? My I, womb, Franklin's womb. I have bad news for you all. We've been reading Franklin wrong all these years. Yeah, we really yes. have. Um, bloom. Freeing the Quaid cave devers. Blah, blah, blah. Bloom. <coughs> stagger, stagger, crawl, crawl. This is Hodge's death scene. And they, milk it, milk and it. And the Oscar for best snark. <laughs> I die! I die! Yeah, but you know that that's just snark Oscar bait right there. That's plain and oh, simple. Yeah, totally, it's the totally. healer's journey yeah. and that he has to sacrifice like a martyr. It's like, ugh, come on. Yeah. I'm like, all right, all right. Green Book gets it. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, nice topical. <laughs> <laughs> A collective group session. Words sometimes hard. Ache with mouth. Bloom. And also puts him in the Hall of Fame for worst villain ever. (laughs) (laughs) I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you kids chained up and tripping me with, I guess, the chains I chained you in. (laughs) Bloom. And the war wages on outside with two huge battleships firing on each other and causing more damage to poor Friday as the one they were in next episode. Explodes, I not episodes. Here, go just... One more time. One more time. Like, we haven't this made enough mistakes, it, yeah. 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 I'm going to blame it on the optical illusion. There you go. Bloom. Katie Power! My girl shows up like Arya Stark in the last episode of Game of Thrones. Spoilers <laughs> that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> oh, woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, boo-hoo. Now tell me about Endgame or uh, Captain yeah. Marvel. Arya, Arya Stark shows up there, too. Oh, man. <clears throat> that was in, probably a weird thing. <laughs> insert, insert drop them, Jackal. Let my brother and sister go. Bloom. Yeah, it's time to get this party started like a six-year-old. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> this party's dead. We should blow this scene. Hold on. I hear a six-year-old's going to show up later. Barney in the house. <laughs> She's lit, literally. <laughs> Bloom. And another alliterating announcement, always awesome and allowable. Any advice or assurance about attempting an active... Uh, blah, almost had it. Almost oh, had almost it. There. You almost you had it. Two words away. <laughs> All right, try it again. Bloom. Power Pack stands in awe as this is... No, wow. Mmm, huh. Mm, nice beer. Bloom. Emperor Bodchen informs everyone that he has contact... Nope, contacted. <clears throat> Emperor Bodchen informs everyone that he has contact... Contact. Wow. Bloom. That's right. Powerball. It's not stars. Powerball. It's not stars. <clears throat> I've got a theme. Yeah, I'm gonna give it four raccoons. Wait, no, no not raccoons. <laughs> Bloom. And that brings us to kids' perspective, and that's where Rick asks his daughter perspective. Uh, Want to try that again? Yes. No. No. It stands as is. <laughs> Take it away. No. <laughs> I will edit the heck out of that.